This episode of Manage Smarter is presented by Sales Fuel Coach, our adaptive sales coaching featuring five-minute quick coaching personalized to each sales rep. Learn more about Sales Fuel Coach at salesfuel.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. Well, you know, Lee, uh, Rashad Tabakawala, our guest today, he says people have two wildly different reactions to a digital disruption, di- digital disruption of any kind in the workplace. And he's going to explain what that is. But I think you have an idea of what those two things might be, right? Well, you know, and also in, in today's climate, you know, especially with the reaction, recent reaction then to coronavirus and like that, we've got a lot more data. We've got a lot more re- remote working going on. You want to talk about disruptive change? You know, boy, that, that's a big one right there. And so we're going to try to touch all the bases on with that and other topics today. Absolutely. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel. And as I said, Rashad Tabakawala, he is our guest today, author of Restoring the Soul of Business. It's a great book. You can get it on Amazon. Staying Human in the Age of Data. Also Senior Advisor to the Publicist Group. He spent his entire 37-year career, most recently serving as the Chief Growth Officer and Chief Strategist of that group. Get this, named by Business Week as one of the top business leaders for his pioneering innovation, and Time Magazine called him one of five marketing innovators. And so, Rashad, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming, sir. Thank you for inviting me. Okay, so digital disruption. Um, I know you said people have one reaction to it or the other. Uh, I know what category I'm in, but let's start with that. What are the two sort of groups that people divide into when faced with this type of thing? You know, either they embrace it or they run from it. So one group basically, <laughs> yeah. one group basically says, you know, I want to retire before this happens, and the other one basically says, this is my magic copy to the future. Right. So, in terms of that, uh, what are some of the ways the managers can get people to not run away, uh, but be lifelong learners and embrace, you know, ride the wave of what's happening? What are some of the tips? So there are you know, three or four big tips. The first one is to recognize that for most people, including people who want to be forward thinking, is that uh, very simply change sucks. So <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, my belief is that when people come and tell me to change, I say, I'm a happy person. Please uh, uh, change yourself. Does that make sense? Yes. Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm, I'm happy, so, so, so uh, don't, don't, you, don't you bother. The, the other one is to recognize that if you want people to also change, you have to incentivize them to change, which is just telling them change is good isn't enough. You have to either find ways to pay them more or reward them when they change. That's one set. The second one, and then obviously you got to communicate, educate, and constantly recognize that people, uh, we are not digital, silicon, data-driven things. We're analog, carbon-based feeling things. And so it takes us some time to respond. You know, we don't switch on and switch off. Um, the second one, which is extremely important, is to also help people upgrade their mental operating systems. Because one of the key things when we are thinking about change is we have to learn new things and we have to build new skill sets. And we spend a lot of time all over the world, including in America, thinking about what we eat and how we move our bodies, which is kind of interesting because if you don't have a good physical operating system, you're dead and everything else is off the table. But 
what separates us from monkeys is the invention of fire that allowed us to build our minds versus our stomachs. Uh, we don't spend enough time thinking about how to learn and what goes into our minds. And so I have this entire chapter called How to Upgrade Your Mental Operating System. Because one is, okay, you want to change, but then in what direction do you actually go? And those are the two you know, big factors, which is let's get going and it's not easy, but then which direction do you go? I noticed that uh, managers, when, when trying to uh, spark change, make change happen, they tend to either lend, lead, lend, I don't know, they tend to use data too much or they tend to not use data at all or not use data enough. Uh, which one of those two things are, is more dangerous and is more likely to lead to a bad outcome? So my basic belief is they leads to a bad outcome when they lean too much towards data only, which is what they tend to do these days. So the underlying thesis of my book, uh, or rather there's, a, there's something that connects all the chapters because you can read any chapter in any order, but the connecting tissue is what I call successful leaders and companies balance the story and the mm -hmm. spreadsheet. So the spreadsheet is the math and the data of a business, the PNL, et cetera, which is extremely important. Uh, and to my basic belief is growing actually so important and so overemphasized that it may eventually lead companies into thinking only about the numbers. So opening new accounts was the key driving force behind Wells Fargo. So why not open fake accounts, mm -hmm. right? Shipping a plane, we gotta ship the plane, we gotta ship the plane, even though there were internal concerns, why not override those internal concerns and you've got Boeing 737 MAX. So if you just go with the spreadsheet, you're gonna get yourself into a problem. Also because human beings aren't, you know, human beings choose with their hearts and they use numbers to justify what they mm -hmm. just do. So we can lose our numbers. On the other hand, so therefore the story is important. The story is basically understanding people's needs, being empathetic to them, understanding culture, understanding purpose and values of companies, et cetera. But if you're just about story, then you have another problem. And that's, you build companies like WeWork, right? So if you think about WeWork, it, it built, it's this amazing story that had nothing to do with reality. And then you get yourself crushed. So I truly believe it's story and spreadsheet, but everyone can see the numbers, but how do you bring insight, inspiration, and then eventually action to those numbers is what we look for in leaders. I think sometimes the managers will take a look at that and you say, you know, man, that numbers are e easier to deal with. You know, they don't talk back, they don't change their minds. You know, dealing with people is, is messy. You know, it's, it is, uh, it is, it is. And you know, I have a line which says, everything is easy, but people get in the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So if you're fusing together emotion and the data, like you said, look at both parts. One of the other things that you talk about this, uh, transforming organizations that happens is an increase in empathy and creativity among staff. And what is yes. the importance of those two things and how do you draw that out? So there are two factors. One is uh, a lot of companies, as they change, they do these things called the offsite. If you remember, they go mm -hmm, to a place, sure. you know, give people crayons and color and <laughs> they uh, no ideas are wrong, uh, which basically tells me that uh, the, why can't you have crayons and you know, why don't you give crayons to everybody all the time? They're pretty cheap and you can just tell people no ideas are bad all the time, right? So I've actually thought about it slightly different, which is um, in many ways, the best entrepreneurs and the best offsites are actually interacting with artists. Because when you think about art, whether it's a writer, a speaker, a 
singer, a you know uh, a, a painter. They all start with a blank sheet of paper, and they invent something, and they reframe the way we look at the world, and they take risks, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the key things I tell people is let's some, let's put some poetry into the PowerPoint, and let's discuss, expose, and talk about, and let people go and have artistic experiences that they come back and talk about. One of the most amazing things is some people have taken this so seriously that many companies have bought copies of my books for all their employees and they're having book clubs around the book as a form of art. That's a great idea. Okay, Which is that they're selecting certain chapters and they say, let's discuss how this affects Mm -hmm. our business, which is sort of one. But the other reason why I bring in this whole idea of empathy and other personal stuff is for a long time I've studied leadership and a big thing that I discovered is that good leaders have five characteristics. Uh, one of them, not surprising, is capability. You can't be a good leader unless you're a capable person. The second one, uh, very important, but also probably well known as integrity, which is mm-hmm. people have to trust you. But it's the other three factors, which are very emotional, that I found were the driving factors. Uh, one of them, obviously, you have to be capable and you have to have trust. But the really big leaders can inspire people, which is they can make them think beyond the numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So today, to a great extent, we are desperately, you know, I I basically uh, sort of did a little karaoke version of uh, Mrs. Robinson, Hmm. you know, and said, you know, where are you, Mr. Obama, our nation turns its anxious eyes to you, right? Because because in effect, this is the time when you need inspirational leadership, which as a country, which we are sort of lacking. So what is we need inspiration? The other thing you need is empathy. You need to recognize that however badly all of us may be suffering from this, there are other people who are suffering worse. And finally, vulnerability, which is the ability to say, hey, shit, this is tough times. We got to do something about it, right? I myself am confused and I need to know. And so in effect, because of good leadership, having these emotional elements and artists having these emotional elements, I basically talk about that. It, when you talk about the, the spreadsheet and the story, it, it makes me think that about management and leadership being both an art and a science. It is. It is. And life is an art and science, you know, mm-hmm. which is the key thing, which is if we, you know, I've always basically believed that when someone comes to me and says, I live in this world where everything is possible, I say, yes, everything is possible till you basically have a crisis and then you've got no science and math to help you. Until you get punched in the face. Like Mike Tyson said. Yes, that's right. On the other hand, if you run it all by the numbers and that's all you do, you have two two problems. Problem number one is your job will be replaced by a computer before you can say jack scrap because machines can do all of that thing much faster. The other is just looking at the numbers is basically looking at the entire world through through the cells of a spreadsheet, which means you are jailed for life. And that spreadsheet was programmed by whom? That's the other thing. Right. And, and the other thing is, it's basically been programmed by a bunch of people of internal biases, one of which basically is to make you work like a rat and be completely engaged, be surrounded <laughs> yeah. by stuff that basically <laughs> makes you feel good. Yeah. Wow. A bunch of white guys in Silicon Valley. Yes, who basically care a lot about home delivery service. <laughs> yeah, and, yes. an al- and an algorithm with certain metrics and benchmarks that you're supposed to hit, right? So. Yes, yes. And, and unfortunately, that has become so prevalent is what, you know, now we all sort of react to this. Like there are all these things about like, you know, literally, you know, how many reviews, how many stars, how many this. So all of us are, are basically like running around trying to collect these fake metrics in some ways, 
which have been optimized to make other people money, but make us feel like we have social capital. Mm -hmm. The problem is social capital has never paid a bill, excepting if you've got so much social capital that you become Kim Kardashian or someone like that. Are there times or good times when leaders should not use data in making their decisions? Yes, I, I truly believe that the best leaders make their best decisions uh, by first sitting with a lot of data, then sitting with a lot of people. And then it's not a gut judgment, it's an informed judgment. And usually the informed judgment you, that works tends to resonate on a human scale. You know, Jeff Bezos basically says, whenever he, uh, he sees the data, he, he looks at it, but then when he hears a story and an anecdote, he then asks his people to go find the data to see if that anecdote is true or not, mm -hmm. right? So in many ways, the input should basically come from human, but then you should basically utilize data to interrogate whether that's just, you know, how deep is it, how wide is it, and how true it is. So it's one of those key things. But just by looking at an array of numbers doesn't tell you much. It's like basically being a technical stock trader. Plus, I, you know, I can make those numbers, I can spend those numbers any way I want. That's the, that's the key. What tends to happen is one of the key things we do have is the new language, because it doesn't speak bad, is math. And what tends to happen is you can make numbers look amazing, you know, with using statistical packages and other things. And uh, so as a, as a you know, uh, as I quote in my book, I think it's Mark Twain, there are lies and then there are statistics. Damn lies <laughs> and statistics, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, and, and so you can, and we tend to, you know, often I basically ask people, before you show me anything, please tell me what your incentive for this meeting is, or can you tell me what your incentive system is, right? Right. And then I said, you don't have to show me anything. You're going to show me the following things that basically incent your, the, that align with your incentive system. And you really don't care about me. You just have aligned with your incentive system. But you'll make it look like it's all about me, but it's really about your incentive system. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. And when I was kind of looking, doing show prep for Shad and looking over the book and everything, I got to ask about, uh, when you say it's essential to have a culture and courage that calls out, quote, the turd on the table, I had to ask, <laughs> yeah. there's a chapter called the turd on the table. Why don't you mm -hmm. explain the concept of that? So we can all avoid, well, actually embrace yeah. it. I, I guess, yes. I, it, embrace I, I, the turd on the table. I think you have to embrace the concept of the turd on the table, okay. but not embrace <laughs> the turd itself. Okay. Oh. Um, Is this, was so, this caused by the elephant in the room? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it, 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 it was sort of that. It was actually used in a real meeting, which is actually quoted in the book. And that's, that's the other thing people find fascinating in the book. You know, I say you can read any chapter in any order. Many of them basically start with the turd on the table, right? Uh, and the basic idea is many of us, all of us know in business, we sit around in rooms and there's something in the middle of, middle, of, middle of the table which is brown and moist and we think it's a brownie, but we all know it's a piece of shit, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't call it out. And so we then pretend. And the same company that basically says, we want you know, risk-taking and we want innovation punishes people who basically say, hey, why are we doing this? Or hey, boss, you don't know what you're doing. Or you know, things like that. So I truly believe that at the aforementioned Wells Fargo and Boeing, people were calling out the turd, but people were not listening to them or punishing them, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you create an environment? 
where if you're younger, you can actually speak up without losing your job, which is what I used to do when I still had my job. Or when you're older, in the, not older, but more senior in the, your career, like I became, how do I make sure that people can come up, as, come up to me and either say the strategy I'm working on makes no sense, the direction of the company makes no sense, and often I make no sense. It's interesting. And, with, and, and without that, how the hell do you improve? So or sometimes what happens with Shad is like, hey, I think it'd be a great idea if instead of doing this, we started doing this. Yes. And then what happens is like, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't you lead, lead the team where to make that happen? And now all of a sudden you're being rewarded, so to speak, putting yes. air quotes then, you know, with more work to do when you don't have time to do the work you're doing now. Yeah. yeah. And, and people basically don't do it, one, because they they've learned to keep their heads down, A, because it'll get chopped off, or two, it'll be someone will put more on their head, as you say, more to do, right? Or third, and we have to be aware of this, which is maybe we're wrong, right? Uh -huh. So when you see something that doesn't make sense, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It may mean you aren't seeing it from the right angle. You don't have all the information, and you might be wrong. And, you know, someone will say, it, when people come to me and I, Tell that you know, I have to tell them that they haven't seen the whole picture or they're wrong. I don't say it that way. What I basically say is first, thank you very much for coming here. Second, it's very clear that I've not communicated all the facts because if you had all the facts, you may come up with the, the right, this different way of looking at it. My fault. I didn't give you all the facts. Mm -hmm. And therefore, you telling me this, even though I'm not going to give you the facts, and you're going to see it probably my way. You've improved me by basically saying me, I haven't told you all the facts, but more importantly, I am so glad you spoke up and please keep speaking up. Once you do that, people will always speak up. So with all the social distancing and everything like that, that, that that's been going on with, started with the, with the coronavirus and our needed reaction to it, I, I'm wondering, uh, do we risk some long-term loss to our, hum, to our human connection uh, you know, with our coworkers as people have to uh, you know, stay apart from each other or we're working re more remotely? And I don't believe then that after you know once the crisis is over, where that, that all of a sudden we're going to all flock back to the office. I think we're just going to prove that hey, we can get as much done, if not more, done from home. And people are going to look at the numbers and the productivity there, and go and, and continue to allow that to happen. But by doing that, though, do do we risk losing something bigger? Uh, we do. So what I have is a chapter in my book called "Managing the Darker Side of Brighter Screens," and. Uh, as you would expect with someone like me with the story in the spreadsheet, I basically consider a middle path. So I actually compare two things. I compare the way I used to work 38 years ago and how I do it today, right? And 38 years ago, I would write something on a piece of paper. My assistant would put it on a typewriter. We'd use whiteout to make sure it was fine. We'd then go down and we would probably make acetates, right? <laughs> if yeah, we, right. Um, if I needed some information, I'd basically, uh, you know, go down to the librarian. We had a librarian, and she'd look up microfiches, or she'd get a book and go read the book, uh, and that was that. And today it's a little bit different. And so I'm, I believe that modern technology has enabled much greater productivity, much greater what I call diversity, because more people can work from home and 
look after their kids or look after their older ones or just be in a different city where you can't be. So I, I truly believe that many of these technologies have truly improved life. On the other hand, if you don't have some personal interactions once in a while, if you don't basically have where people even look at each other and talk about real things versus looking at spreadsheets and numbers, you lose a lot because what you lose is the human nuance and trust, et cetera. So there's a company called Automatic. They own WordPress and now they also own Tumblr. Uh, and that company has, I think it's got 1500 employees, all of whom work remotely. But what's very interesting is some of the things that they do. So, and that's what I, I call for in my book, uh, which is when I was running groups, I would do this, which is they do two or three key things. The first is anytime when someone has a something that you would physically reward them with, let's say it's my birthday, right? What would tend to basically happen is the company ships a birthday cake to your home. Mm -hmm. uh, is everybody, if there are three people in a room somewhere in a meeting and one person is dialing in from a computer, all the other three people also have to dial in on the computer. Mm -hmm. So everybody's absolutely equal. The third is every single individual is given a budget of $250. I'm not sure whether it's monthly or for the year to basically um, do things uh, that enable them to be more connected in their own communities, including, uh, you know, do you want to get a WeWork subscription or whatever else? So yes, you're working for automatic and you're connected uh, emotion, you know, with your employees through the computer, but you're around other physical people. But the most amazing thing is this, two to four times a year, you have to meet up with your team. So the teams basically decide where they want to meet up. They decide how to fund it. I mean, not the company funds it, but they may say, let's all go to New Orleans for four days. We'll have meetings and we all gather together. My team will meet up. And they do that two to four times a year. And they believe that is absolutely essential for human connection so that the rest of the time they can work this way. Those are all great ideas, Rashad. And, uh, you know, I know that you two met uh, when Lee saw you speak. If you want Rashad to come speak to your group, at Rashad is your Twitter handle. Right. com is the website. And everybody, you got to go out and get this book, Restoring the Soul of Business, Staying Human in the Age of Data. It's only going to get more datafied. It's going to get, it's <laughs> oh, going to get only more datafied. And it's, so data, it's got so datafied that I've had to basically make sure that I use data on Amazon. So you don't even have to remember the book. All you have to remember is R-I-S-H-A-D. And you put R-I-S-H-A-D and up out it shows on Amazon. There you go. Now, you're like Madonna. You're so famous now. You just need the one name. You're like Brazilian, uh, like a Brazilian football player. Yeah. That, that's what it is. You know, as, as I tell people, it's at Rashad. Then my email address, believe it or not, is Rashad at gmail.com. So it's all Rashad. Wow, everywhere. that's fantastic. That's great. And that's in the show notes, everybody. Rashad, okay. thanks for joining us today. All great stuff and uh, just a little bit of insight into the book. So we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.